Hey, what's going on out there in the podcast land? Welcome back to another edition of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Matthew Johnson. Thank you for coming back and listening to us again this week. In this week's episode, it will be a little bit of a rant. Just talking about why healthcare doesn't cover dementia care. Let's spend some time discussing that topic in this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. All right, here it is. So I just, I don't know if you call it an epiphany or just a thought that I had this week. I'm sitting around thinking about how much it cost for dementia care as a caregiver for, you know, a person caring for someone who has dementia. It's a big cost that's mainly borne by the individual with dementia or their loved ones, their families. And I was just thinking, why is that? Particularly if a person has health insurance, is not dementia a illness? Yes, it's an illness of the brain. But the fact that you could be diagnosed with dementia, and and this is how I've heard it happen for a lot of people. They, you know, notice something off about their loved one. They take them to the doctor. The doctor might recommend they go to a neurologist. The neurologist might do some tests, some scans. Yep, you got it. You got the big D. May not know exactly whether it's Lewy body or frontal temporal lobe or whatever type of dementia right away. They might just throw it in the you know, process of elimination, say, well, we're not seeing any aggressive behavior, so we'll call it Alzheimer's, which, you know, most of the diagnoses end up in that pot. Depending on how early they catch it, if it's young onset, here's some medication. Take this, we'll see you in six months. That's it. That is pretty much it in terms of this particular condition. Whereas if you go and, you know, you were investigating a lump in your breast and they did a test and determined that, yes, this lump in your breast is cancerous. They don't just send you with a pack of pills and say, figure out life from here. And you got about 10, 12 years to live. There are wings of hospitals, if not whole hospital centers that are dedicated to the treatment and care of cancer patients. That care is either heavily subsidized or completely paid for by your health insurance. You would not leave with a cancer diagnosis and then left to think, "Ooh, where am I going to come up with the $7,000 a month for the cancer care facility like you have to do for someone who might need memory care? That's largely out of your pocket unless you've 
were fortunate enough to qualify for long-term care insurance, which would have had to have been probably years earlier, because once you have a condition and not just the condition of dementia, you could have some other underlying condition like diabetes or high blood pressure or something else. And that could prohibit you from being able to get long-term care insurance, or it might make it cost prohibitive for you to afford it. But for those who are fortunate enough to have had that, you know, the mindset early on to get that. And even that has its limitations. It can run out. There's a certain amount that you might have before that runs out. But the fact that that is on you in the first place. had me thinking, why is that? Why is it that just because you have this condition, just because the doctor diagnosed you with this, it feels like they kind of send you on your way. And so, This is just me thinking Matthew's thoughts. I wonder if it has to deal with the fact that there are no medications to cure Alzheimer's. And so a doctor is thinking, hey, you got this. I want to prescribe that. So I want to send you to this treatment. So with cancer, for example, there's chemotherapy. You know, there's different Thoughts about that in terms of how harmful that is to your body and people decide whether or not they want to do that. And, you know, most, of course, will fight for life and, um, you know, choose a course that even though might be painful, even though it might take some of your quality of life to keep you alive, you know, they'll do that. But point of this is that that treatment should you decide it is covered you're not it's an expensive treatment but it's covered by your insurance whereas if the doctor says you have this condition the expense is there in terms of caring for someone with that but the insurance for some reason is like eh, not interested And I liken it to if you had car insurance, and most of us do that have a car. For whatever reason, they carved out accidents caused by people texting while driving or being distracted while driving. Those accidents are not covered by your insurance. So if you happen to have an accident either with someone or you yourself, you're texting while driving and run into a tree or something, you're damage is not covered. That's going to be out of your pocket or you get this special rider, this extra long-term care texting insurance that would cover you for that. And even though, you know, back in the day when you auto insurance were, you know, invented or what have you, sure. You didn't think you would need texting insurance because there weren't cell phones. Or if they were, they were those big bag cell phones that were as big as a VCR and didn't have the capability of texting. So you weren't distracted while you were driving. But now that it's becoming pretty more common that people are distracted while they're driving, either eating, putting on makeup, texting, calling, whatever they're doing. Right. To have the insurance company say, 
yeah, we're not going to cover that particular category of accidents, accidents that happen from that, even though those are happening more frequently. And as we project out into the future, we're going to see even more distracted driver type accidents. However, as an insurance company, we see that that's going to cost us a lot of money. So we're not going to cover that. Once we find out that you had an accident or someone ran into you and they were distracted driving, you're going to have to pay for that out of your pocket. Bye-bye. Take care. That's what this feels like with this particular condition, that this particular condition, for some reason, the insurance company is allowed to say, you were on your own with that one. And certainly for people who have the resources, it might be a challenge, but it's not anything that's capable of being overcome. It's a barrier that they can get over when people have nice nest eggs or left inheritances or just worked and saved and set aside money, you know, it, to hear $6,000 a month for a facility. Uh, it's just, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. But for a large segment of the population, that is a lot of money. When you look at the statistics, as far as how people prepare for retirement, people across the board aren't prepared to just retire, let alone have set aside money to cover some major health expense like this. And in the African-American community, it's much worse when you look at the net worth of African-Americans compared to white Americans. It's a lot less, right? I think the numbers were something like 180,000 for the average white family in terms of net worth and 2,000 or something like that for the average black family. So you can imagine just on average an African-American family would choose to take care of their loved one in the house and not necessarily that they're choosing that every time. It might be that that's the only option that they really have. And why is that? And so I know Congress, they have some, I believe in this uh, recent uh, build back better act. I believe there's something in there to help reimburse either caregivers or people who are, you know, spending money for things, you know, like dementia care. But even that, I believe, just falls short because, again, that's you having to spend the money. And then getting a tax credit for it, which is a form of a reimbursement. But still, it, it just it seems odd that that setup exists that you have health insurance. This is certainly a health condition. This is a disease of the brain. Other psychiatric disorders are covered. They have psychiatric hospitals for certain things and all of that. But this one, no, I just think that's odd. And that at some point needs to be fixed. But in the meantime and in between time, while we're waiting for the powers that be to address that. And, and, and I know some large organizations are, are, are trying to do that. But I think that this can be a grassroots fix. As I am doing my search for a memory care facility 
and I've now started to focus on smaller facilities that are based out of homes. I had this thought and I'm going to pass it on. And I think this would just be a great idea for somebody to run with. And I give this freely. So if you take this and happen to make a million dollars designing this app that I'm about to describe more power to you, but get to it quickly because I need it. Someone should develop an app where you can put in your zip code and find out if there are other people, not homes that are licensed and professionally run, just families that are taking care of a loved one with dementia in their home. And maybe those people can come together because I would imagine the setup that I currently have, I have what three different people coming in throughout the week and you know, it's just five hours per shift or whatever they're coming in to help out. And there's probably other people right here in this neighborhood that are doing the exact same thing. And, you know, I kind of have my thing together now. I got a nice little groove going. And as it turns out, this house is big enough that someone else could come in. Someone else who has dementia could come in. And, you know, if they were at the kind of same level of activity as my mother, the same level of, you know, the progression of the condition. Easily the person that's coming to sit and be a companion for my mother could be a companion for that person. And we could, you know, combine resources, if you will, we could be a respite for each other. Right. And so if you wanted to find someone to have relations with, there's an app for that. You can just go on, pick the phone, bloop, swipe left. And there you go. 20 minutes later, you're meeting at the Panera parking lot. Not that I've ever done that before, by the way. There are, you know, match.com. You can find your loved one. There are roommate.com. If you're looking for a roommate in college, my daughter went to do an internship up in Boston and she just went on some app and found some place to stay for the summer while she was doing her intern with other people who also happened to be doing an intern there in Boston. Right. So it's completely possible. But why isn't there something like that for this? So instead of me trying to get with a facility and deal with the people who may or may not have the level of care and concern for the people they're caring for. Find someone who's like me, who loves their loved one. They're putting in that time and energy to pull together a network of support. They have it. And now it could easily add another person to that or two. And where I am for my area, that's what it is. It's no more than three people or maybe four before you have to get into the licensing and all of that. So it doesn't require anything, uh, you know, anything official. I mean, you may have to register, but that's a small $25, $50 fee or something. But there's not a, you know, licensing and all that that you have to go through. This is just your home. You're caring for your loved one. And then you add a person. Man, wouldn't that be great? get people to register. Don't know how, you know, that works in terms of um, 
you know, the financial thing, maybe you pay to have your house listed there or whatever. And then however it works, I'm sure you can have ads on it for whatever other services that relate to the community and make money that way. But I am telling you that is the fix. It would work. I think it is better than having a corporation try to uh, resolve this problem with memory care facilities being so expensive and the cost not really being associated with the level of care. There are places that cost $12,000 a month and smell like a place that costs $4,000 a month. And that's not a positive smell, by the way. So there, I think when we allow kind of the capitalism, generally speaking, or big corporations or even small corporations just to have the business world design and fix or come up with solutions to things that really require a great deal of compassion and understanding. I think we missed the mark and it's, it's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole when we do that because we have such high expectations that we're going to find a place that's going to be like home for my loved one. Mm, How about we just find a home, an actual home, someone's actual home, and we can come together, build a network, a co-op, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, there could be you help the person with the cost. They've already got that developed. Or since you already have a house and they already have a house, you know, you you take on my mom for 30 days. I take on your mom for whatever. All of that can be worked out with the people. What an idea. Somebody please design that app. I'll be one of the first people to sign up for it. And I'll interview you on this podcast so that you can get that information out. Then the other thing. And I know this is being done, but it just somehow needs to be magnified. Training for people to do that work. Training for the individuals who work for care places, assisted living places, memory care places, but also for the families. Develop some 40 hour training that really is very explicitly related to caring for someone with dementia. And then you could even break down, of course, the different types of dementias because they have perhaps more specialized training if someone has Lewy body dementia versus Parkinson's dementia, right? There might be some behaviors that are associated with some of those that a person who has just gotten that diagnosis when they're sent home with the medication and saying, see you in six months that they might need to know, come up with something that is culturally sensitive as well. Recognize that in developing the training, you have to have people that look like every customer that might be served by the training, which might mean it's going to have to be translated into different languages because right here in the U S of course, there are people with dementia who speak Spanish as a primary language, various Asian languages are spoken. The African American community, culturally speaking might have just a different twist or take on how to approach care than 
you know, someone who's not right. So have something that is culturally sensitive. That is just, I mean, drilling down into what's necessary, how you communicate with someone with dementia, how you get someone to take a bath, how you, uh, you know, need to, you know, maybe nutrition, all of it, all of it. And by putting that together and again, having that be virtual and perhaps online and then someone stamped with a certified seal once they've had that and have it, you know, with a practicum that they have to have worked with people with dementia, not just, oh, I took this training. So, yeah, I know how to work with people with dementia. Mm, No, you took that training. So now you're ready to have some real world experience, perhaps. But once they've had that practicum, once they put in their hours, they've become some certified seal. Again, it doesn't have to be government, doesn't have to be corporation, just a small corp, a small company, a small individual, whatever, who's doing a small company, even a sole proprietorship, develop this training and have that seal. Trust me when I tell you, once the reputation is out that if you have this particular training, you know, and you're talking about caring for someone with dementia, then that spreads in that community. That person is associated with this app, or maybe now we've got another app that we just developed for the training. Those two were good. We can handle this grassroots. We can do this just ourselves. We're taking care of our people in our homes. We are, you know, getting the things done. Families are being cared for and we don't have to find $6,000 a month to pay for a service that we may or may not feel comfortable leaving our loved one there. But if there's somebody in my neighborhood two blocks over, uh, I probably feel a little more comfortable there. One, it's two blocks over. When I'm on my walk, I can just walk in and see mom and vice versa. Right. If someone else, if we're doing this in a collaborative way and unfortunately, There are more people who are caring for their loved ones in their homes than there are in facilities. It's just that we're not connected right now. Somebody design an app. Connect us. Let's solve this problem from the grassroots up. All right, folks, that's it for this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Matthew Johnson. Thank you for tuning in this week. Come back next week. We're going to just keep it moving. We're going to continue to talk about this. And until then, absolutely, that's wonderful what you're doing, taking care of your loved one. Continue to do that, but also take care of yourself so that you can be around as long as they are. Until next week, I'm out.